0: street environment i mean that so andre just just as a counterpoint say something about the the like the stopgap thing like you're concerned about this even in the short term
1: well yeah because we're fundamentally changing these corridors um and i think that uh or, or not changing them. well class i mean Look, one of the concerns I haven't mentioned, which is my third concern, is that, look, this mayor has made a priority of transparency and planning, which I am very happy about and I support. This is not that. Uh, This would be rezoning hundreds of people's homes without really a process around asking them. And so I, I don't necessarily think this is what she an outcome that people would intend i mean i i think that i think this is really problematic if people realize that people get very upset about changing the zoning around their homes and they want to be part of that i think this would be i mean we're changing the zoning without really that kind of nuanced uh you know in community engagement process around it so i totally agree that we First of all, the mayor has said that her first priority is to not lose more commercial areas. So I would be comfortable moving ahead with the C1 having a first floor commercial requirement and, and that piece of it. I feel less comfortable about apartment one and apartment two given what I've actually seen when I'm looking at what's there. And especially with not Really kind of exactly. engaging people around what they think about i I know in my neighborhood i don 't think people would if people realize that we rezoned a huge swath of this neighborhood one side of the street to have a commercial requirement, people would be like, What the heck happened? What did you do? So I want to avoid that situation and i don 't want to be you know aboard that um, that does that so i'm totally open to other ways of of addressing that issue and uh you know incentives or more nuanced doing it district by district but i really think like we should be in this time where we're having such a a real problem with commercial space and filling it and having these you know the retail and the restaurant environment that we have right now like we should be really focused on how can we support Medford Square to make sure it stays vibrant and we don't lose businesses and vacant storefronts there? Or, you know, and, you know, looking at the other uh, commercial walkable hubs in our city and, and really strengthening them. So that's really what, you know, I, I'd like to to focus on.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, there's, there's like really good points all around this issue. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to, I don't know I'm finding it hard to really pick a side I mean um
2: and that's what goes back to me and and, and I'm glad that Deanna brought up the question about what what's what I thought about the forecast for um Medford I mean you know in, in being transparent um Obviously I work at the state level and that's that's what we do. Uh, and Not only are we ensuring economic development and housing, but uh, my secretary is also um, vice chair of the reopening plan. So I know, I, I see a little bit more. And so yes, there has been some issues, but also I know that Massachusetts is leading in the health of its, its, its um, residents as well as keeping with the economy. And yes, there's been a lot of hits and we may, see a lot. We just don't know. I mean, there's not, you just hope for the best. I know, for instance, there's a, a, a neighborhood kitchen that's right on Spring Street. Even They thought they were going to go under in the pandemic, and they're, they're just as vibrant. I don't know if it's because it's going along with the culture of the community right now where we're um, emphasizing a certain kind of trend with uh, minority-owned and Black-owned businesses or anything like that, but it's thriving, so there's potential. I can see the arguments on both sides, but at the same time, um, I mean, I just don't know. <laughs> it, it's really hard. I have to tell you, it's really hard seeing this absent of a comprehensive plan, but I can definitely see how this can be a short term, but I, I can also see how it can be an issue. So I'm, I'm with Clayce, I'm a little um, conflicted.
1: Well, we're what we need to do is really just make a recommendation to the city council. The city council is gonna make a determination on it. Um, we could, Uh, recommend the whole thing we could uh, not recommend the whole thing we could recommend a portion of it we could recommend that some uh, you know tweaks be made to it
3: Andre, I like the idea that you brought up about recommending it for the what is it the C1 district
1: yeah and the MUZ district is also a
0: mixed-use zone I I, think mean, that I you is, know, that, honestly, that, Andre, that. Uh, the the one thing that you said to me that actually really resonated and, you know, I'm all for like the idea of mixed use and, and diversifying the neighborhoods and all that. But the one thing that did really strike me when you were talking was that you said about Medford Square and like mm-hmm. really trying to preserve the businesses that we have there. Um, and I thought that was a really, a really sort of good point. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know if it was a year ago or whenever, you know, we were at the, at the height of, of development and, and things going well and, and still there's, you know, stores being closed and banks putting, being put in, in Medford square. And and that's the kind of thing that, that really, I think, from a long-term vision, this, this, this city really needs. So um, I don't know that, that comment resonated with me. And I think I could probably get behind like, um, Suggesting, you know, not doing the, um, the apartment districts.
1: Well, what does some of the other board members
2: feel?
4: I would support that narrow approach mm. for sure. Yeah. It seems to make most sense now that we talk through it all. Um, I mean, if we can't make our commercial district successful now, <laughs> um, it's it's a little concerning. Just blanketly throwing it across apartment one and apartment two. I don't I don't think there's any question that it belongs in C one and and the mixed use district. Um, but yeah, it seems to makes most sense to me.
1: And uh, Alicia and or John Witten, is there any way you think that the apartment one apartment two language could be tweaked to encourage rather than require to allow some of the things that you were talking about
5: it, it's from a drafting perspective mr chairman sure uh you know i don't know if if that's the mayor's intent but from a drafting perspective it could be much more passive as opposed to the mandatory sure I think, you know, Mr. Chairman, if I, if I could just add, yeah. and, and I know the, the board's been at this for a long time, I, I think one of the obvious takeaways that I know we're, we're, we're all probably in agreement, which is if development is left to the private sector uh, without special permit requirements, then the city's going to get what the private sector wants to deliver. The, the special permit is a way of guiding growth in concert with your comprehensive plan and zoning. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a balance. Uh, but uses by right, structures by right um, are very laissez-faire, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but they don't often deliver what the municipality wants. It, the private sector gets what it wants, and the city gets what the private sector gives them. The special permit approach is the way to control your future. I mean, again, I know everyone on this call knows this, but that, I think, is a big distinction between an ordinance that has uh, special permit requirements and requires that supermajority vote versus structures and uses that are encourage or cajole. In my experience, in, in my career, uh, developers um, do what they want, and it's up to the municipality to guide the outcome. And the only way to do that in the Commonwealth is through a special permit.
1: Well, you know, the apartment two district is the one where you can go up to six stories. Apartment one is three stories. So there could be a distinction there. I, I just feel at least with the apartment one district, not allowing, a, um, you know, property owner to put in free family house um, or, or to, you know, have to go to the basically, or, or to, you know, because the property is now non-conforming to have to go to the a, a ZBA. And if they do kind of renovations or something to have to get a permit from them that they might not have had to get before, so that's the kind of thing that I, want, I would like to avoid. I'd be comfortable with, you know, C1 going with the full as proposed version, Apartment 2 um, moving it to special permit, but not requiring the commercial, and then maybe leaving Apartment 1 out.
0: I mean, I, I, I hear you, Andre. It seems, it seems too intricate for the the spirit of what, what's trying to be done, but you know,
1: well, what's the, uh, us what, let's take the temperature of all the board members here. So I just got a question.
4: Something that you said just triggered something. So, you know, if I, if I own a two or three family and I decide I want to, you know, tear it down and build new. Am I going to be subject to having to do commercial on the floor on the first floor?
5: John, do you want to address that? Sure. Um, thank you, Mr. Chairman. So uh, and the chair and I were in touch today on, on kind of a similar question. So a pre-existing nonconforming use or a pre-existing nonconforming structure can expand or alter or change provided it gets a finding from the board of appeals. This is in the Medford ordinance that is consistent with general laws, chapter 48, section six, that does not necessarily require the compliance with this new ordinance. The special permit granting authority, the board of appeals is obligated to try to, Require more conformance with what is the pre existing structure, but in some cases it would be impossible. So, in your example, no, they would not require you to comply with this new ordinance because oh you couldn't. Oh yeah. oh. If it were a conforming parcel, then it would have to comply. If it were a reconfigured parcel that would then be a conforming parcel, it would have to comply. But those structures or uses that are rendered non-conforming by this ordinance, which aren't likely to be many, would be safe, they'd be protected, provided that they don't seek to expand, alter, or change. If they do, right now, today, they would need a finding from the Board of Appeals pursuant to the ordinance. And, And, you know, I dare say in Medford and most municipalities in New England, 50%, 30% of the structures and uses are pre-existing non-conforming. It's just the nature of of the fact that zoning came into compliance in the 50s and everything was already pretty much built out. So uh, Andrea and I did touch base on that a couple of times today. It it is an issue, but it's an issue every time you change zoning. I don't see this zoning uh, proposal from the mayor making it any substantially different than every other zoning change that the city faces. So, if I have a pre existing nonconforming structure and I want to add a new wing to a, the residential component or the non residential component, this ordinance is not going to apply to me because I am pre existing nonconforming. I'm vested from new regulations.
6: Along those lines, John, if they wanted to comply though, they could. And what I'm thinking of, for example, is a commercial business, commercial building that exists in the um, apartment one district, which right now they could renovate as commercial. But if they wanted to tear down and rebuild as commercial, they couldn't. And if they wanted to put in a three-story building with a commercial on the first floor and the apartments above it, they actually are not allowed. That would be a use variance. Right. Exactly. And so they could choose to remain non-conforming, but if they wanted to comply and do apartments above, they would have to then be commercial. Under them, or correct. Or they could.
5: Yeah, and you can always choose to comply with the current code and not take advantage of the vesting that you have. And so your example, Alicia, yes, absolutely correct.
1: So, you know, we've heard public comments today also, you know, expressing some concerns. Um, I'm trying to organize this in a way that we can make a decision and move forward. Um, Maybe the best way of doing it is is to do separate resolutions about the different pieces of it. So if we feel that there's consensus, which I think I've heard around the C1 and MUZ district, perhaps we can uh, entertain a motion to get that out of the way, and then focus on what's what's left um, to narrow it down a bit. Does that make sense? Would there be a motion to do something like that to address the C1 and MUZ first before we move on to the other zones? Or
3: no people are up.
1: reticent? What, what's the reticence?
3: <laughs> I'll make the motion to, uh, move ahead with the apartment, uh, the commercial one in, um, mixed use zones. Is
1: there a second? Second. So there's a motion on the floor to, uh, recommend to the city council adoption of the Mayor's proposal for the C-1 and MUZ district. We'll do a roll call vote. David Blumberg? Aye. Christy Dowd? Aye. Les Andreessen?
2: Aye.
1: Jackie Furtado? Uh, You are muted, Jackie. Could you just unmute?
2: Sorry, aye.
1: Thank you. Katie McHugh. Aye. Deanna Peabody. Aye. Okay, thank you. Uh, unanimously approved uh, that motion for the C1 and MUZ districts to uh, adopt the proposal. Um, all right, The apartment two and apartment one, that, that leaves those uh, for us to address. Does someone wanna make a motion for either one or both of those? Um, districts, maybe we should say, let's let me, before we do that, let's just take the temperature of the, of the board members on this. So I just gonna go one by one and uh, give me your thoughts about where, what you're thinking about those two districts, uh, David. I would vote no in those two districts. Uh, Christy. you're muted Christy.
4: Um, I agree. I agree with it in spirit, but I feel like there's still a lot of unknown unknowns that could um, unintentionally burden those areas or not really result in what the mayor is trying to achieve there. So my inclination right now is to say no on those.
0: Less. My inclination is is similar to what you had suggested, Andre, is to probably, um, and I can't remember exactly how you said this, but it was more of a recommendation rather than a um, requirement I- to
1: uh, to allow those uses that are made not currently be allowed by right in those areas. Yes. Okay. But would you tackle apartment two differently than apartment one, or would you include apartment one in that?
0: I would,
7: I, yeah, both
0: of them. Um, Jackie?
1: Oh, and the other question, I'm sorry, Les, uh, on those, uh, I'm assuming that you would support the mayor's proposal to move both apartment two and apartment one from uh, as of right permit for multifamily to special permit.
0: Yeah, I think I I would, yeah, I would leave everything the same in in the wording except just change it from a requirement to a, Uh, recommendation and, um, allowable use.
1: Okay. Uh, Jackie.
2: So I'm unsure of the first, uh, part of the question. The second part, I, I echo, uh, Clay's, but can you please, um, restate? Yeah. So
1: I guess the, the first part of the question was, um, whether you would treat apartment two and apartment one differently, uh, and whether you would require or allow first floor commercial in either or both of them.
7: Not and I guess, much required, and, and, and then the th- third current. thing
1: is the special permit piece, you know, do you support the special permit? approval versus as of right for the multifamily.
2: yes i do support the special permit i would not want to require i would want to recommend or uh or because it to me it discourages mixed use as opposed to encouraging it um and then I guess I'm not really wrapping my head around the changes to the, the, the two zoning changes that we're, respond, that we're speaking on. I'm not wrapping right, my head right around- Right now,
6: what- in the apartment one and two, these uses that are technically in blue, the added ones are not allowed. Right. So a use variance would be needed in order to put in a first floor commercial in the apartment one and two districts. And our zoning board is giving those, wait, there's a word that means, it's not quite arbitrarily, it depends who's hearing the case, because some members of the zoning board refuse to give use variances on principle. So it right now, without having language like this that says, a special permit shall recommend or shall allow the first floor development contain these non-residential things. They're actually prohibited.
3: Okay, I think most of us are in agreement that it should be allowed.
2: It's allowed, yes. Definitely allowed in these two.
1: So, okay, so there seems to be agreement that it should be allowed. at least I'm just trying to identify areas of consensus. David, would you agree with that as well? I would. I think we're talking about. Allowing um, first floor commercial uses in the apartment one and apartment two area. Not required. By, by special permit. Well, that I, I think that's a separate issue. I, I think I mean, there's really three things. So I just want to, I want to understand that all three pieces of it. So one is the first floor commercial. And I think we have consensus that. Allowing it rather than requiring it seems to be appropriate in those districts. The second piece that I want to now just get a sense of is the proposal moves in two different directions. It moves, it makes it harder on the one hand for residential multifamily development because it requires, instead of as of right, multifamily, it would make it a special permit. On the other hand, it would allow the commercial uses. So the question is whether folks support the movement to the special permit. Um, So in apartment one, right now, multifamily up to three stories is allowed. In apartment two, multifamily up to six stories is allowed. I got that right.
6: Yeah. So the way this is drafted now, it would not. It would not allow um, multiple dwelling over six stories in height in apartment one because the way it's drafted is just changing the word yes to SPC. So where it says no for multiple dwelling not over 75 feet or six stories in height for apartment one, the way it's currently drafted that wouldn't change.
1: I'm sorry, Alicia, you just confused me. So right now in apartment one, multiple uh, dwelling units up to six stories in height is not allowed. And that doesn't change with the mayor's proposal. Right. Correct. 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 So it's only apartment one is up to three stories, apartment two districts are up to six stories. Yeah. But right okay. now, those are as of right uses, and this proposal would change that to special permit.
2: Correct.
6: Correct. <laughs>
4: So, are you, are you saying that if someone wants to come in and build a three story apartment building, they have to go without commercial uses on the ground floor, they have to go through special permit with this change? It's not yes. That right.
1: Yes, which is why I was saying maybe leave out apartment one and only do it for apartment two, which are, allows more density.
4: Mm-hmm. Almost makes me think then to. <laughs> give people more density in apartment one if they put commercial use on the ground floor (laughs) give them an extra floor
6: right right now on salem street the entire thing is apartment one and actually i think if Am I correct? That's Main Street. Most of the Main Street that's not general residential, almost all of it is apartment one, except for the tiniest, the one block radius around Harvard Street, the part that people think of as South Medford's business district. That part's commercial. God, we really need to do a comprehensive plan.
1: So, uh, let's try to land this. Um, you know, my, my thought is to move apartment to, is to go along with the special permit, but not require the first floor commercial. Uh, but, you know, in apartment one only to, uh, it's hard. I mean, honestly, I think there are parts of apartment one that just, they're not appropriate for first floor commercial. And I, I mean, the neighbors would just, would go crazy about it. I I don't really know how to thread the needle on that one. The fact is we do need a comprehensive plan. We, need, we do need to look at these districts more carefully and we need to figure out where commercial should go. But I don't want to do something where, you know, there's a three-story home uh you know a three-family home on Riverside Ave suddenly has like a a retail store you know in the middle of a row of homes so i'm not sure uh, you know how to how to deal with that situation
6: I guess i would say that that's because that that's why it's special permit and frankly, I think that those same people would go nuts because somebody's brought building a three-story apartment building next to them.
4: So Andre, why don't we just move forward then with recommending the districts that we feel comfortable with? The ones we're all in agreement on.
1: Well, I mean, i'd like to know what what you guys think about apartment one and apartment two it seems like there's some some concern but we didn't quite uh there seemed to be support for allowing it and then the question is special permit or not so if folks want to give that discretion to you know the city council uh, or at least recommend that they have that discretion to review those projects and, you know, safeguard the the community, then um, how do you feel about it? Do, do you feel, do you want to move forward on those districts or, or not? And again, this is just a recommendation for the city council. They're going to do what they want to do um, with it, but so may be influenced by our recommendation.
0: I mean, I think this is the thing that's, like, kind of bugging me is that I feel like this, you know, one of the first things that Alicia said when we talked about this last time is it's a stopgap. And that's what I was sort of saying with, like, the that this seems way too intricate. I mean, I think the spirit of this is that it's something that will halt the kind of development that's inappropriate in Medford for the short term. And it's not going to be perfect. You know, I mean, the the perfect answer here is not going to happen with, you know, the people sitting at this table, figuring it out. This is professionals are going to figure this out. And we're being asked to comment on whether we think it's appropriate to put into place some zoning which will sort of force the issue in my opinion so i mean i think we could talk about this district and that but to me this isn't really about that it's more about just like we need to start thinking about this city and and its zoning a little more seriously And I think that's probably why the mayor is putting this in place.
7: That said, I think
0: we've, that uh, that said, I think the last thing I'll say is that, I mean, is it possible for us to say, you know, we think this is a great idea in, in um, all the districts except the, um, the apartment districts and, and we don't have an opinion on the other or something like that. I don't know, or, or just leave yeah. them or say, we, mm. and just-
8: yeah. Yep. Yeah, we
4: could just keep it, it a, simple because we don't even know if they're gonna-
0: Right, we don't have anything
4: to, anyway. Right,
0: that's,
1: we don't, don't a, have to, we don't have to wordsmith it. We can basically just give a,
0: yeah some principled recommendations. It's a recommendation. We like it for, for this district, this one and this one, and we don't have a comment about the others. Yeah, agreed.
1: Well, we already, we already took care of C1 and, and MUZ. So I think the question now is whether we want to make some kind of recommendation or statement about apartment one and apartment two. I think it would probably make sense to say, we don't think, uh, we're, cons- you know, we don't think the first floor commercial should be a requirement, but it should be allowed. But we'd like to see, uh some more analysis of the districts, I think, or we'd like to see some um...
0: I think it's too, it's too complex an issue for us to make a recommendation.
5: Yeah. Without further study.
1: Yeah. Okay. Is there a motion on the floor?
4: I'll try this one. (laughs) Um, I make a motion to recommend to the city council that they keep the language as proposed for the zoning amendment to include um, uh, ground first floor commercial uses in the C1 and mixed use zoning district.
1: Although Christy, we already did that motion. So you don't have to do
4: that one. It's just just apartment one and apartment
5: two. Yeah. (laughs) She's um, saying it really nicely, though. She's I, doing I, such a wonderful job. I was trying
4: really hard.
5: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> I appreciate you stepping up.
4: <laughs> um, I'll make a motion to recommend on the apartment one and apartment two proposed zoning um, amendment for our first floor uh, commercial use that um, we. We recommend that it be allowed versus required, but there is really not much more that we can offer without, you know, further analysis of the district. So, I mean, is that what we're saying? <laughs> are we I'm just not comment on it? Recommendation. Or we we're just not going to provide a recommendation on those.
1: Yeah, that's, like a that. possi- that's, that's a positive. That's that's certainly a possibility.
0: Yep, I like that. <laughs>
1: Any disagreement, or is there consensus around that? Okay.
7: So we don't need a motion, uh, unless there's a... um, Do we need a motion to move on to the next agenda item? I don't think so.
1: Uh, Then let's move on to the next agenda item. Which is a review uh, for bond reduction and lot release requests from the Winthrop Place definitive subdivision at 25 Winthrop Place.
8: Andrea, I think you missed um, the uh, BJ's one.
1: Oh, oh boy. Yes, sorry. Oh my goodness. It must have been wishful thinking that we were further along. All right, we have a continued public hearing uh, for special permit site plan review application 278 Middlesex Avenue, BJ's gas and uh public hearing this is a continuance of a uh, public hearing from uh, last time uh, from june 18th the medford community development board shall conduct public hearing on thursday june 18th 2020 6 45 pm via zoom remote video conferencing relative to a special permit site plan review application submitted by bj's wholesale club to construct self-service fueling station within a portion of the existing parking area at 278 and zero Middlesex Avenue, an allowed use in an industrial zoning district. The site is currently occupied by an existing BJ's Wholesale Club with associated surface parking and site improvements. The proposed facility will be comprised of a 200 plus or minus square foot kiosk gasoline attendant facility with canopy, 4,525 plus or minus square feet and a six dispenser (laughs) service pump island. A copy of the application may be viewed in the Office of Community Development Room 308 or on the city's website at www.medfordma.org slash department slash community hyphen development by clicking on current CD board filings. Pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12, 2020 order suspending certain provisions of the open meeting law, we are conducting this hearing digitally. Thank you. We have the the applicant. uh, We'd like to invite to make a a presentation and update us about where things stand.
9: Yes. uh, Good evening, Mr. Chairman. Uh, For the record, Mark Vaughn with the law firm of Reimer Bronstein representing the applicant. Uh, Can you hear me? Okay.
1: Yes, Mark. Thank you.
9: Uh, Pleasure to be before you uh, this evening, and um, certainly been watching uh, the board the past uh, several hours. And uh, I uh, don't envy uh, the job that you do. You do a wonderful job for this. So um, I wanted to just. Spare you a detailed presentation as you're approaching hour. what looks like it's hour number five of you hearing here I know we had a pretty detailed uh, summary presented at the uh, last meeting of what the project uh, Involves, but uh, we're talking about uh, the BJ's location at 278 Middlesex Avenue um, where uh, BJ's is looking to incorporate a gas facility within their existing parking field Uh, There'd be no additional pavement uh, proposed. Everything would be within the existing paved area. This is a a surplus parking area that uh, they feel would be ideally used for this use, which they've uh, incorporated at uh, many of their other um, BJ's locations. Um, Just to remind the board, uh, this would be limited to uh, BJ's customers only. Um, This is not open to the general public. It would be limited to BJ's uh, customers only. And there would not be any service of vehicles or convenience store or anything like that. The kiosk that's there, just simply uh, as an attendant in it. Uh, and the only commercial activity, if you would, that could take place there would be someone that might be needing to renew a membership card or, or uh, something like that. So uh, at our first meeting, we obviously um, spent a lot of time focusing on the project. There was a lot of valuable feedback that we got um, in terms of uh, things for us to look at as a team. And get back to the board on with, uh, hopefully some answers and some further, uh, analysis. Um, and, uh, we feel that we've, uh, um, been able to do that. We did submit a, uh, communication today, uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, with a couple of response letters to the city engineering staff, uh, responding to a number of comments that were raised, uh, previously. Uh, we also did submit a response letter to, um, The law firm of Anderson and Krieger that represents the um, two commercial property owners across the street, the the, uh, gas station across the street and the the car wash uh, and some other Bedford residents. So we did respond to that uh, as well and um, submitted that to the board. Uh, Over the past few weeks, we've spent a lot of time um, having further dialogue with uh, city planning staff, both uh, Alicia and Annie. Appreciate the time that it took to meet with us to kind of drill down on a few of these items. And uh, also city engineering staff uh, to talk about some of the uh, traffic um, and uh, other enhancements that we might be able to do uh, kind of outside of the property limits, if you would. And uh, we did share a couple of concept plans uh, with the board that shows, um, you know, some um, I'm going to turn it over to our traffic engineer, uh, Sean uh, Kelly uh, and Austin Turner, who's with Bowler, um, rather than my repeating what they're about to say. But I think the focus has been for us to look at some pedestrian enhancements. Additional landscaping that we could provide, even though we're already providing a significant amount of new landscaping were there opportunities to provide even more. And then on the traffic front, um, how we might be able to address some additional pedestrian safety enhancements along Middlesex Ave uh, and some ADA accessibility enhancements. Um, Any opportunities to modify that curb opening uh, for the driveway and, uh, and a further dialogue with MassDOT about the Complete Streets Program and um, some things that we might be able to explore there. Uh, so uh, if I could, I'd like to ask uh, Sean um, Kelly with Vanassan uh, Associates, our traffic engineer, to um, maybe speak to one of the exhibit plans. I don't know who uh, might be able to pull that up, but um, and uh, he can speak a little bit more in
10: depth on that. So thank you. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Good evening, Mr. Chairman and members of the board. Again, uh, for the record, Sean Kelly, half the team, thank you again for having us before you tonight. Uh, If it pleases the board, I know it's scheduled, I'll take a few minutes to kind of give you an update on some of the meetings and and, um, discussions we've had, both with the um, city engineer, um, Tim McGivern, and the city traffic engineer, Todd Blake. Um, Thanks for, for meeting with us and reviewing the project and then some um, additional correspondence with SCOT, uh, subsequent to that meeting. So we, we did meet with Tim and Todd and we, you know, reviewed the project and of the concerns. And I, you know, I won't speak for the state staff, but um, certainly the, the focus at our meeting was um, although this project was primarily vehicular in nature um, was looking at the pedestrian and, and bicycle accommodation, uh, both of the that serve the site, as well as the internal of the site itself. And, and you know, ways to make the site more um, accommodating for other users not just vehicular traffic um, we looked at the the rear access onto Fellsway um, the Fellsway corridor has, has recently been upgraded by DCR they've they've restriped it they, they now have bu- exclusive bicycle lanes that are buffered from the travel lane um, we do have a sidewalk along our frontage uh, but what they did point out is that you know the the ramps and the crossing today for the Delta Island um, they don't meet current ADA design guidelines with respect to uh, the design of the wheelchair ramps, the lack of detectable panels um, and, and there was a request to, to work with DCR to, to improve those, um, to, to meet the current standards and um, you know we're committed to doing that. I don't, I don't see DCR having any issue with us bringing it up to standards So it's something that we've uh, made a commitment to and, and we've addressed that in our response letter. Uh, we also looked at the, the access from, um, from Middlesex Avenue. Again, some of the same themes um, played through with that access point, you know, the, the lack of a crosswalk at that location, the lack of wheelchair ramps. Um, we had some discussions about the width of the driveway where, where a, there is a pedestrian crossing there and whether there was anything we could do to, to modify that. Um, I'll let Austin Turner from Bowler speak, you know, more directly to the site plan modifications, but that was something we also took a look at as well. Um, and then I think that probably the, the, the biggest, um, you know, Question was, you know, could we look at the Middlesex Avenue corridor itself? It's a, it's a fairly wide corridor. It's thirty-eight to forty feet wide for the most of the stretch within the city of Medford, and in, in some areas, Todd was looking to have exclusive bicycle lanes uh, put in both northbound and southbound. Um, in some areas, to have a shoulder marked with sharrows. Um, subsequent to our meeting with, with the city staff, we did have a meeting with uh, District Four um, Traffic and Engineering to review these measures. Um, and what they've asked us to do is essentially prepare a conceptual improvement plan that would show the limits of the of the striping, which essentially would be from the city line at the at the uh, the plaza across from Wendy's. It would run down to First Street with, with striped exclusive bicycle lanes, you know, buffered from the travel lane with a painted gore. Um and then from first street heading south, uh, a, a shoulder with Sherrows. We've reviewed it briefly with DOT. You know, they again they, they want to see a planning review in more detail, but we've um made a commitment to, to put together that conceptual design and submit it to the state for review. If, if DOT who has jurisdictional along the corridor um, is in agreement, we've agreed that we'll either uh, implement those measures ourselves and, and actually stripe the lanes, or we will um, you know provide a, a financial monetary contribution um, to the city so that they could um, implement that measure as part of a larger um, planning effort. So um, that's really where we are. Um, right now you know we've, we've 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 met with the city staff we understand their concerns and really again even though this is this is primarily a vehicular project i think in the context of the overall bj site that the, the goal for the city is to um, improve that the pedestrian realm and improve the bicyclist realm and, and we're committed to implementing those measures as long as we can get the appropriate sign-offs from the the relevant state agencies um at the meeting, at the last meeting, there was also um, some discussion about, about parking um, and the concern that the, the elimination of the parking spaces um, at the front end where we're proposing to have the gas station would ultimately potentially have some adverse um, impacts if, if we didn't have enough parking essentially for all of the customers and employees at the existing BJ's Wholesale Club. So as part of our initial assessment, we hadn't done a, a complete parking assessment. You know, we've been out to the site a number of times during peak hours. And, and quite frankly, you, you really don't see any vehicles parked up in that section where we wanted the gas station. Um, if you look at historical imagery from going back number of years, you'll, it tells the same story. The parking is really towards the front of the store. The demand really doesn't um, filter into that front parking field. But uh, we felt it was important to do um, a full parking analysis to, to this issue head on so we um we went out um we we typically would do a a parking analysis for the evening and the saturday those are the busiest times um we did do the evening and the saturday but i know that the opposition had also raised some concern about uh bj's policy of allowing you know first responders and and elderly the most vulnerable members of the the community to do their shopping in the morning hours Um, so we wanted to address that comment as well Uh, we went out and did um some parking demand and, and quite frankly the, the demand was was, was fairly low um, relative to the parking that's available uh, in the morning we, we saw about 60 vehicles parked there on the whole site um, 61 in fact in the evening it was about 120 and then on the saturday midday it was about 150. Um, putting that in the context even with the elimination of the parking that will be uh, utilized by the fueling facility we're still going to have 330 parking spaces and the maximum demand that we observed again during that Saturday was 150, which still leaves us with you know 180 surplus spaces um, during that busy Saturday hour. in the morning, uh, you know it's, it's almost 270 spaces. So um, clearly you know, the, the parking demand study demonstrates that there's, there's more than adequate supply even with the elimination of the field that would be utilized for the, um, the, the fueling facility. That's um, that's really what we you know, kind of a summary of where we are right now. You know, we're going to continue to work with, with MassDOT and advance the the bicycle plan. Um, look to get their support, and again, if, if if they're in board with it and they think it's a good idea, we're, we're certainly willing to work with the city to either implement that measure or um, you know provide the financial contribution that the city can do with themselves as part of a larger project. Um, I think with that, I'll I'll turn it over to Austin. I know there's some some pedestrian accommodations uh, within the site itself that, that we'd like to review. Thank you.
11: Sure. Good evening, everybody, or good night, I guess, as the case may be at this point. Annie, I was wondering if you could allow me to share my screen. I had a couple of exhibits that might help facilitate the conversation.
8: Sure. Hold on one moment. Thank you. Okay, you should
7: be good. All right, let's give it a
11: go here. <clears throat> let me know, I'm sharing, let me know when that pops up, please. Yep, we got it. Okay, great. So um, what I'm going to do is, you know, Sh- Sean did a good job of, of summarizing kind of some of the offsite stuff. And what I wanted to do is kind of show you what that looks like graphically and also talk about some of the things that, we've incorporated subsequent to our initial discussion. Um, first and foremost is if you're looking at the top of my page and kind of where my cursor is tracing, you'll see what we're, we're doing here is we're, we're incorporating a pedestrian connection from Middlesex Avenue and the existing sidewalk along Middlesex Avenue all the way to the front of the club. Uh, we had talked about that at length at, at the last discussion and we spent a lot of time figuring out what's going to be the most efficient path and how that could in fact be accomplished here. So so what we've done is, is show, shown that sidewalk connection and, and what it's doing essentially is running inside the existing curb edge. You can see that in fact we're going to be actually adding some additional landscaping that's identified by that, that green hatch there. But that sidewalk essentially runs up along that part of the property. Um, it's it's not invasive operationally to the gas station. It keeps it out of you know the the inbound queue and it keeps it on the perimeter, and it also provides a, a linear path to, to the front of the front of the club. So uh, it's it's efficient. It accomplishes the goal of of providing that pedestrian connection directly to the front of where there is none today, and it it also actually allows us to provide some additional green space. It it does reduce the parking a little bit. I think it's approximately nine or ten spaces. You can kind of see it, the remnants of it on the aerial there, which they're they're parallel spots and, and frankly they're not they're not utilized spaces and really not um, valuable parking. So we'll still be uh, in exceedance of the minimum zoning requirement with the inclusion of this sidewalk. And and we think that's that's a good ad, frankly. And it addresses the comment of the, the pedestrian connectivity. Uh, Another thing, and and kind of in the same vein, and I have a a graphic that I'll show you in a second that kind of zooms in a bit, but we are committing, as Sean mentioned, to rebuilding the sidewalks along the the property's frontage on Middlesex Avenue, incorporating a crosswalk, and and, and creating some additional accessibility improvements to to that stretch as well. With that, and, and I'll show you a graphic in a second, with that comes we were able to reduce the width of the driveway too. And that's going to be part of this proposal. Uh, it's we're at its peak. Um, and you'll see the graphic in a second. I think we can get about approximately six or seven feet of a reduced width of uh, that, that tapers and it, it varies a little bit just based on the nature of, of the curvature and the radius point. But we did take a look at some of the turning movements in there and there wasn't a tremendous amount of room but there was a little bit of room. And we heard that as being an important thing to the board. and in the community and, and decided, you know, that was an easy one for us to accommodate after taking a closer look at it. Um, Sean did mention as well that we are looking on the Middlesex Avenue corridor as incorporating some of the complete streets initiatives that, that had been discussed. And we spent a fair amount of time talking with the city engineer and, and your city traffic engineer about that. So the applicant is committed to either implementing those directly provided MassDOT is, is amendable to that. Uh, or funding that in in an appropriate contribution to a much larger initiative that the city has to that Complete Streets Program. Either way, um, what the applicant is doing is going to be participating in that. And we we heard that as being important as well. Um, What we also did, and not necessarily related to the fueling facility, but just in terms of enhancing the green space, landscaping and screening for the property. You can see on this rendering that there are additional landscaping features which are being incorporated, particularly along the front of the club. Um, we're going to be putting additional shade trees in there and ground cover plantings um, in the islands that are, are proximate to Woodruff Avenue. And then I think, you know, equally or perhaps even most importantly, you can see this, this dense stretch of vegetation that we're incorporating along these parking spaces. And, and really, as we were investigating this further and thought, okay, wh- where can we get the most value in terms of landscaping? This area, it, it stood out quite quite significantly because there, there's either vegetation there that isn't thriving um, or there's large gaps in, in the vegetation there and, and the screening fence is what remains. So what, what we're proposing here and what's going to be incorporated as part of the plan provided the board thinks it's worthwhile would be, Additional plantings are either um, shade trees or evergreen plantings or a combination of to really enhance that buffer and, and really screen that further and, and provide some additional visual attenuation for that for that parking area. Um, I, I think that's a, a good add, frankly, and, and there is some vegetation in there that appears to have been, um, it's not thriving. It looks like there had been some recent utility work in there that may have Compromise the root systems or something to those trees, and and they're not doing very well. And so the idea here would be to really enhance that buffer system and and replenish it and, and make it much denser than it than it currently is. Um, so I had teased a graphic for the driveway in Middlesex, and if you can see this graphic here, just kind of blows up the intersection a little bit. And what we're proposing, as I've mentioned. Is is the reconstruction of the sidewalk along the property frontage, a reduction in the width of the driveway, which you can kind of see by this this green arc. So, what was pavement there is being hatched as green because we would we would re re landscape that area. We would formally stripe the crosswalk um, along this driveway, and then again you know reconstruct the, the the accessible ramps and put in the the current and modern pedestrian accommodations there detectable warnings and and things of that nature to to bring it into current compliance so i i went through a fair amount there fairly quickly in terms of of some of the the new things that we're we're committing to on the property Um, i'd be happy to answer any questions or or explore these in 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 some additional detail um, as the board would prefer
1: Well, it's been a a long evening for folks, and I appreciate uh, both the responsiveness of the applicant uh, on all of that and your presentation, as well as everybody else who's who's stuck around. So uh, let's, um, before we get to board discussion, um, let's uh, take a public comment. Annie, can you help me with that?
12: Jessica Wall, you should be unmuted. Great, thank you. Can everybody hear me okay? Yes. Excellent, thank you. Um, Good evening, Jessica Wall. I'm an attorney at Anderson and Krieger. uh, For the record, that's 50 Milk Street in Boston. Um, I wanna thank the the board for the opportunity to provide further comment tonight. I represent uh, two of the property owners across the street on Middlesex Avenue at 273 and 277, and then also a group of Wellington residents to the south of the proposed development. So I'll, I'll keep it brief. I know we are uh, it, it's been a, a long evening for a lot of folks. Um, just to provide a brief recap, um, in June before the board's last hearing, we submitted a comment letter highlighting some of the concerns that we had about the project, including traffic. That had some analysis uh, or the, the traffic analysis there was uh, supported by Green International Associates by Bill Scully. Since that meeting, um, we've provided a second comment letter from a second traffic engineer, Stephen Elman from Banesh and Company. And Steven's here tonight. I think he has a, a few brief words that he'd like to say to outline some of his thoughts on the project and what's outlined in that comment letter. Stephen has over 40 years of experience as a traffic engineer, and then also. Engineer traffic engineering experience particular to gas station uses. So we thought that that additional specific Insight would be useful for the board um, So Steven is here tonight and and can go through some of those notes um, I just want to note also we understand and I think the applicant mentioned that They had included or, or filed recently either today or yesterday um, new plans and a new set of documents so we haven't had much time to sort of digest those and, and understand or, or raise potential concerns that those might uh, flag for us for the board. So Stephen, I think we'll touch upon some of those issues, but um, we reserve the right to provide further comments um, if possible to the board on those issues. Um, so if if the chair will allow, I'll turn it over to Stephen Ullman who can explain some of his findings. Yes. Thank
13: you. Yes. You're welcome, um, Mr. Ullman. Good evening, my name is Steve Ullman. Uh, I'm a professional engineer in Massachusetts. I work with Alfred and Company. I'm in the Glastonbury office at 120 Hebron Avenue in Glastonbury, Connecticut. We also have an office at 50 Redfield Street in Boston. Um, I reviewed the study and the materials presented by the applicant. And let me read you and I provided a letter dated Monday uh, or Tuesday uh, on this let me read you my conclusion to summarize it in my opinion the bj's traffic study in its present form does not accurately represent the potential traffic impacts from the proposed gas facility with the traffic information currently provided and the site as currently designed we do not believe that the board can find that the proposed developed fueling facility can operate safely or the proposed development will not negatively impact the traffic operations On the roadways surrounding the site, I have five or six major issues I take with their study. First, the trip generation for the site is not representative for wholesale clubs selling gasoline at below market rates. The use of a fifty percent capture rate is not justified. Internal capture rate. The use of a twenty-five percent bypass seems high, combined with the capture rate. There have been modified default values in the analysis that have been changed without real providing backup. They've stated that they, why they did it, but they don't have any backup. Uh, They have not shown the sight lines available on either roadway, no sight triangles on the plans, and the site layout cannot work safely. First on the trip generation, Uh, as you know, and they stated that They use the ITE trip generation for a gasoline station. That is for a general generic gasoline station like the mobile station across the street. BJ's is a wholesale club. BJ's will sell gas at below market rates, eight to 10 cents below market rates. And that will drive more traffic to the site. Uh, I was party to a review of a Costco up in, Uh, Colchester, Vermont, that Costco study used trip generation rates for 12 position fueling stations that Costco operates, and they found that for the PM peak hour, their sites will generate 350 trips. That's more than double what the normal ITE trip generation rate would be for a 12 position fueling station. Uh, And what I find troublesome is that BJ's has several stations in New England and in the Boston area that provides gas to members only with 12 filling positions that they could obtain data and generate their own custom trip generation to validate the ITE or what my findings have found that they're going to generate traffic at a much higher rate. The second part is the internal capture. Internal capture is those trips that are going to BJ's anyway, but we're gonna buy gas too now. Uh, we're going shopping on a Saturday morning, miles will buy gas. So that's not a new trip to the gas station. Their studies and BJ's own numbers, so they have the numbers for the fueling stations, state that 30% internal capture rate is seen at stations with gas stations that sell gas to members and the general public. Why they didn't use data from fueling stations that sell only to members when they have that data available, I don't understand why they did it. Uh, And they can provide that data. I will note that the Costco stations that I studied, they found that internal capture rate was only 32%. Pass-by. Pass-by is the traffic that is on the roadway adjacent to the facility that is normally driving to and from home or work or wherever they're going and just on a spur of the moment or for whatever reason decide to pull into the gas station. Now, that is not a new trip to the roadway network, but it is a new trip to the driveway. That's important because when they did their trip generation and their distribution of traffic, they reduced the volumes of the driveway by that pass by reduction. Plus they've used a 25% pass by reduction. Yes, gas stations selling to general public like the gas station across the street or any other gas station in town generate a large percentage of their trips by pass by, people going to and from work to the doctor whatever. However, since this is for members only, and they've already taken a credit for internal capture, we have a hard time accepting that 25% is a valid number for pass-by. Typically I use 10 to 20% for a generic station, not even for wholesale flow. And the other part is they modified the default values for acceptable gaps, from an under-signalized driveway, their driveway to Millsex Avenue, and they reduced this significantly by two to three seconds. Now, they stated verbally in their testimony in June, and I read in the letter they submitted yesterday to the, to the board that they based that on observations they made of videos of the intersection. However, they provided no hard data for that. They provided no data that I can review, they provided no data to you to review. Uh, I do know in my one study 25 years ago, I adjusted the saturation flow rate for a signalized intersection. I had 10 or 15 pages of calculations and data to support that in the appendix of my study for people to review. Vanessa provided nothing to justify their reduction of those values in their analysis. Now, one or more of those things may be acceptable, but everything that I've just noted, they've taken the path that shows operation of the roadway network and the intersections surrounding the site are better than they might be. Reducing the trip generation shows better operations Increasing the the internal capture rate, increasing the pass by shows better operations by reducing the gaps acceptable to unsignalized intersections looks better on paper. Is it correct? I don't have the data to really tell you if it's correct, but that's kind of the point. You don't have the data to decide whether or not what they're telling you is true. Next to the sight lines, Um, they state in their report and in their letter yesterday that the sight lines available meet or exceed the distances needed for the speeds along Middlesex Avenue. I was out at the site last Saturday. I looked for the sight lines. My field observations, I really question that they have the necessary distance available due to obstructions in the sight line that are out there today. You have vegetation to the north shrubbery that can be clear to the south you have two utility poles that are side by side you have two trees that are blocking the sight lines to the south i did not go out with a wheel measurement it's kind of busy out there but i they need to show on a plan to this board that they have the adequate sight lines coming out of the site drive for people to exit safely uh, one of the things I noted, and I don't know why it happens, and it may be sightline related, it may not, but people turning right out of the site, if there's no one at the stop bar, they tend to shy to the middle to the left of the lane to swing wide to go right. I don't know why that is. It may be the vegetation, the, the hedgerow that's along the, the right side there, or it may be an issue with the sightlines. They know that it's tough to see, so they sneak out so they can see better. Uh, again, you don't have the data to really make an educated or a good decision. Uh, could I have control of the screen? I want to share my sketch with you to go over the, the site layout.
1: Annie, will you, you share Annie. his screen?
13: I'm sorry, Annie. There we go. Okay, Okay. can you see my screen now? Yes, we can. It showed you the sketch with the red cars. Yes. Okay, this is their site in the background, their layout. And what I've shown here is a tanker truck, if you can see my cursor, where it's going to be fueling, and a group of passenger vehicles. These are just generic 19 foot long passenger vehicles, not SUVs, not pickups, just passenger vehicles. Now, if you notice, they're gonna put the fueling tanker here and, fuel, and fill the fueling tanks at the ports where these arrows are. As cars queue to buy gas, Things are going to get blocked up and potentially will block up not only being able to gain access, but have to drive over the tanks and the fueling positions to get places on the site. Uh, I should let you know that I am a BJ's member. That may get me in trouble with them. But I buy gas at BJ's three, four times a week. And it is a routine occasion for me to buy gas and have at least one car queued behind vehicles, a lot of times two. This is not a a unique situation. Um, I experience and I visit four BJs for gas at a regular basis. And I see this with one or two cars waiting to get to the pumps on a routine basis.
1: Excuse me, Mr. Mr. Ullman, uh, yeah. just because of the lateness of the hour, would you be able to i to kind of wrap up because <laughs> yeah. we but, may have a couple of other comments from members of the public, and also sure. this this there's not going to be just, a vote tonight on this on this
13: issue. as this here that I've shown here is not a unique situation in my experience, and I think if you go to BJs, you'll see that. and I think my report my letter states my concerns in the conclusion report uh, stands for itself.
1: All right, thank you very much. Any other other members of the public that wish to speak?
8: Yes, uh, B. Dan Fairchild, you are unmuted.
1: Hello, B. Daniel Fairchild, 54 Dwyer Circle again. um, uh, I appreciate the uh, work that's been done with the pedestrian access there and the Complete Streets stuff um, on Middlesex Ave for bicycles. Um, I think it would be great if all the plans for that were sent to the Bicycle Advisory Commission, which I happen to be a member, for review, just so we can take a look at those and offer any commentary um, on the specific bicycle plans. That's it, thank you. Thank you, b Any any other public comments? Annie, I'm sorry, were there any other public comments?
8: No, none have come in.
1: Thank you. Uh, So Mr. Vaughn, my my understanding is that you're not looking for a decision tonight and uh, that this will be requesting a continuance of this uh, matter.
9: Yeah, I, I, I think, Mr. Chairman, we, we really wanted to gain some feedback from the okay. board, whether we were, I, you know, we feel that we've done a good job of addressing the, the comments that we heard before about um, how we could make improvements out there that would, uh, you know, benefit the public. Uh, I think, you know, you acknowledge that, you know, look, Middlesex Ave does see a lot of traffic, you know, we're not in a position to kind of fix Middlesex Ave and everything going on with it, but, you know, what can we do to provide some, some meaningful improvements out there, which, you know, particularly from a pedestrian perspective, which we've really kind of focused in on. So, um, I, um, but you know, before we, you know, finalize any plans, uh, with revised drainage or anything like that, we, you know, wanted to get, you know, your feedback.
1: Um, so that was it. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Uh, members of the board, let me let you, uh, open up to, to comments. Uh, any feedback or thoughts about what you've uh, seen tonight? You can provide some guidance to the applicant. Deanna, you're unmuted, are you?
12: Um,
3: I think that what we've seen in terms of the um, things that are being proposed are, uh, uh, address a lot of the concerns that we have um, I traffic engineers can go back and forth forever on you know what trip generation to use and what internal capture and pa- you know pass by and all of that but I'm not sure that the results of the study would change what we're having to do based on what they're proposing. Um, I'm not sure if more traffic in the traffic study would result in any changes. Um, on what we would like to see. I mean, they added the crosswalks, they got MassDOT involved. They added, they're talking about adding bike lanes um, and that's all the things that we had asked them to to address.
7: That's Deanna. my Would any other member like to make comments?
0: I guess my only comment is um, I think I do agree with Deanna that they have taken some steps to address some of the sort of specific issues, but it does, I don't know, I, Last at the last meeting I talked a little bit about how um, BJ's could, um, you know, take this opportunity to be um, to liven up their presence and, and sort of make an investment in Medford. And, and I got to be honest, I'm not really feeling that in the revisions feels, they feel very um, sort of just checking boxes rather than thinking of, of, of uh, thinking of the project holistically and how it fits into um, fits into this neighborhood.
1: you have specific thoughts about what do you mean by, uh, doing more? I, there was the talk about,
0: I mean, there was uh, definitely talk about like, you know, is, uh, could the entry drive be, be divided and create a better entry to the site? Um, I, I'm, I appreciate that they added a sidewalk, but it looks like they added a, you know, four foot piece of concrete to the edge of the pavement rather than thinking about a, 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 a nicer path. Um, between the street and the front of the building, which is set really far back. Um, the landscaping looks more or less the same. I, again, I appreciate that they've added some more landscaping around the site. Um, but it all seems sort of like, you know, I, I, I guess what I was sort of hoping for was a more holistic look at um, at how this you know, a a pretty industrial use fits into um, what is, you know, uh, not an industrial neighborhood, but um, you know, how it, how it fits here.
1: Well, any, any other members have uh, comments? I'll just, David,
5: are you unmuting or? I was trying to, sure. Okay. More, more granular than uh, Kleiss's, but um, I was concerned during the presentation the last time and continue to be concerned about that circulation in and out of the gas pump area. I just think you're bringing folks into that little T and there's a lot of traffic going in multiple different directions trying to get in and queue into line and come out of the gas operation. That compounded with the fact that the gas tanker is very much nearby, and you've got the travel lane right there that every, those in in and out, uh, vehicles in and out of the gas fueling station kind of have to fight their way in and out of the travel lane across the site. It, I think it could be a source of a problem. I wish there was a different way to queue those vehicles that felt safer to me.
1: I will say I appreciate the, uh, the effort to work with the city um, and the state on the, uh, the striping and the making it more of a, of a complete street than what it is uh, today. Um, I, would you, I don't know if Mr. Kelly, you want to respond to anything you've heard so far or uh, leave it there.
10: Yeah, I think. Well, we can respond. I, I, we again, we just cut this letter. We can. I think we'll probably take a look and digest and respond for the next hearing,
9: um, Mr. Chairman. If I could just say something. Um, yes. Uh, so we certainly appreciate the the feedback. I, you know, we do feel that the circulation does work. Um, works well. I, I think this is consistent with you know, what a lot of uh, BJ's operations have in terms of the, the width of the access. And I know that the the gentleman uh, from the Nash that spoke. you know, pointed out what he thought were some liabilities, but, you know, didn't point out that there were, you know, three other fueling stations available that really would not necessitate people having to, to queue where, you know, he was showing those queues. Um, but, you know, we can certainly drill down a little bit further to provide the board more comfort that, You know, we're not going to be creating any type of a a traffic hazard or, or, you know, uh, bad situation uh, within the site. Uh, As far as the other improvements, I mean, um, uh, the planning board member that that spoke about, you know, maybe taking a more holistic look. I mean, what we really tried to do is provide pedestrian enhancements along Middlesex Avenue to make that a much safer area um, off of our site for for pedestrians. as well as providing a safe pedestrian access route for people to be able to walk to the the main store itself. Um, I know there was comment about people living nearby that, you know, might want to go to the store, buy a gallon of milk. I mean, uh, you know, you're probably going to be walking out there with, uh, you know, shopping carts full of things and and walking back and forth. But still, there could be a fair number of people that might want to walk to the store. So, We are really trying to make a, um, I would say a holistic improvement to what's out there. BJs takes a lot of pride in this location. It's, uh, it's their very first BJs in their entire portfolio. It was the first one built. Um, they really are desirous of, uh, improving the appearance of it, you know, providing this as an amenity to their customer base. Um, but, you know, we can certainly, you know, look at some other opportunities to, um, you know, make some, some improvements, but, you know, we we we, we tried to do a good job of you know with the feedback that we heard to um, address it, but we'll continue to have a dialogue. So,
1: yeah, I do appreciate the extra landscaping that that was put in there, and the the path, the pedestrian path to this to the store, and it makes sense where you put it. I think, in my opinion. All right. Well. Let's uh, take a motion to, uh, to continue this till, uh, till August 20th. Is there a motion on the floor?
2: I'll make a motion to continue this till August 20th. Katie, is
1: there a second? Second. Thank you, David. All right, roll call. David Bloomberg? Yes. Christy Dowd? Aye. Kles Dressen. Kles? You vote, we're okay. Thank you, uh, Jackie Furtado. Aye. Katie
2: McHugh.
1: Aye. The Peabody? Aye. All right. Thank you very much, and I'm an I as well. Thank you for staying up with us so late. Apologies.
8: And just Good to morning. confirm, Mark, um, you'll work with me on a um, extension of the time frame, correct?
9: Yeah, that's that's not a problem. Whatever we need to Great. do to statutory deadlines
1: is,
8: is fine, yeah. Great, perfect, thank you. All
1: right, thank you everybody from the public who spoke as well. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Next item on the agenda, plowing ahead is a review of bond reduction and lot release requests for Winthrop Place Definitive Subdivision at 25 Winthrop Place. Annie, do we have?
8: Uh... Yes, I have unmuted, unmuted Matt and Joe, um, and thank you guys for sticking around so late. Um, if you want, I can just give sort of a brief overview of of the um, the what you're asking for in the situation, and you can supplement it as as you'd like if that sure.
7: works. Sure. Thank you.
8: Great, so um, the city currently holds a bond in the amount of $373,015 to ensure uh, completion of public improvements at the site. And uh, the proponent is requesting uh, that the board reduce that bond amount. Um, They requested that it be reduced down to 27,774, and the city engineer performed a site visit and a review of their um, reduction request and his estimate came back at 38,126. so he'd like the city to hold on to a little bit more um, funding or uh, bond amount than what uh, the proponent had requested um, He said that this estimate includes a twenty percent contingency um, but this amount could be adjusted at the discretion of the board if you would like uh, so the board is being asked to vote whether to approve or deny this bond reduction. Um, and and sort of what the amount would be uh, but the city engineer's estimate is uh, for 38,126 and the second part of this is that the proponent had asked uh, for the board's opinion on uh, whether they could pursue full building permits Uh, and I did get the city engineer's um, take on that and he takes no he said I take no exception to releasing the lots for full building permits in fact I prefer it it is nice to have the houses built prior to final paving. It is all, it also gives the binder a time to settle in, reducing things like potholes and sub base related cracking in the finish. So that's just sort of an update on that. Great.
1: Well, uh, Joe and Matt, are, are you willing to go along with the uh, engineer's recommendation on the reduction of bond? Yes. Yep. Seems reasonable. We are. great. Thank you. It seems reasonable to uh, to me as well. Uh, any board members wish to comment? No. Seeing none, let's uh, also the issue around releasing the uh, the, uh, the the lots for building permits. Uh, any comments about that, or is there consensus to uh, to recommend that that move forward as well? Yes. Great. Thank you. Is there a motion to, uh, to reduce the bond uh, to 38,000 and to recommend a release of the lots to the building commissioner?
2: I'm just looking for the proper name. <laughs> Let's see. Is this, uh, what is the proper name of the proponent? Uh, this is the uh, winter place it Yeah, Winthrop place I didn't want to mistake it for Winthrop Estates
1: wouldn't, they probably I, wouldn't want that yeah. yes definitely
2: not I will um, I would like to give a motion um, to release the bond for uh, Winthrop place so that they can for them to move forward
1: yeah to, well just to, to reduce it to 38,000 I think we'd have to put in there
2: Yes, to re- so I um actually give a motion to reduce the bond to thirty eight to thirty thousand <laughs> for one third place
1: thirty eight thousand,
2: okay, thirty eight thousand,
1: sorry, <laughs> <laughs> and I think we also have to say and to and uh, to recommend release of the lots so that uh for building permits.
2: And to recommend the release of the lots. For yes. building permits, I apologize. Yeah. I originally just said for them to move forward, and I know that it's not that easy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just to be, just to be specific. Yes. Is there a second? Second. Thank you, David. All right, roll call vote. David Blumberg. Aye. Kles Andreasen. Kless? Aye. Okay. Sorry. Aye. It's hard, hard to hear you, uh, Katie McHugh. Aye. Deanna Peabody.
2: Aye.
1: Jackie Furtado? Aye. Christy Dowd? Aye. And I'm an I as well. So thank you guys. Uh, appreciate your patience and for working with us during the course of the project. Glad to see it moving forward uh, so much. Yep. Okay, thank you, everyone.
12: Thank you all. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Good night. Thank you.
1: You too. Okay.
7: okay. Yeah. Bye-bye.
1: All right. Uh, final item on the agenda is a discussion of the RFP for the comprehensive plan. Alicia, do you want to uh, introduce that? Sure,
6: so um, I may actually just have Annie mostly speak to it. We've received a few comments from members of the board. Annie's incorporated them and can speak to that. A Few people reached out and said they liked it. Um, we would like to discuss with you all I think there's just really one question and that is when you do a comprehensive plan, you say, what is the term that you're looking for? Is it five, 10, 15, 20, 30 years? And this is the planning board. So I would look to you all for opinion and guidance on that. Uh, This is not the mayor's area of expertise. Um, I, I'm new to the comprehensive plan process myself. It's why we're hiring a consultant, but we really need to say in the RFP that portion of it. Um, my hope would be that we could actually put this out to bid um, for request for qualifications before the community development board's next meeting. Um, so the other sort of piece that I would like to get out of tonight is just sort of a, a final like, you guys are good with this if you would like to put in any more comments you will send them to me or annie okay. otherwise we're sort of good to go to put this out on behalf of the city and the community development board um if there are big issues i would really like to hear that tonight even though it's eleven forty at night
1: right it's been uh the last item on the agenda the last couple nights for a very long meetings, so what's gotten the short end of the stick on this alicia sorry about that um uh, in terms of the the, the term uh, i believe state law says that communities should as a parent i mean it's a requirement it's just not enforced that communities update their comprehensive plans every 10 years so i would suggest putting 10 years as the term in the rfp um and maybe we should just say if anybody else, if anybody has further comments or suggestions, they would send them to the community development office uh, within a week from today. Does that make sense, Alicia?
6: I'm I'm good with that. Annie, were any of the comments substantial enough that they might be, Worthy of just making sure everybody else part of why we had everybody send them directly to Annie is to avoid Conflict of open meeting law. So Were any of the comments changes that you received Substantial enough that are, are worthy of mention as opposed to copy edit. I have to tell you that I have not actually Seen the comments that went straight to Annie um. so,
8: Go ahead
0: Sorry. Um, is there an updated version?
8: So This we is still the working all, version.
6: Right, we send you all a link to a Google Doc, so that's a live version.
0: All right, yeah, you told me that.
8: So the main comments that I incorporated um, were around sort of language um, tweaks. And one of the things was bringing in some language about um, looking at the city's project review and the, the um, permitting processes and things like that. So I tried to expand some of the areas to to include that so that when um, the, the consultants come back, uh, they'll be sort of know that they're looking at, at that as well, rather than just um, making a plan and looking at the zoning. We also wanna understand sort of the city's processes and, and what is included in that. Um, I added some language around, um, strengthening that public outreach piece and the public participation and really marketing the plan um, and and making that a focus of, of how do we get um, responses from the community and how do we make sure all different parts of the community know that this is happening and are able to participate. Um, I added some language um, that Christy sent about uh, broad goals um, and maybe I can actually just read those two. there. There are a few different areas where the RFP talks about goals and things, but uh, this was an interesting um, sort of uh, overarching goals of both the comprehensive plan and the phase two that would look at kind of the, the zoning and the processes. And it's to document a clear vision, connect a public investment in that vision connect regulation to that vision, create a roadmap for thinking and acting from a comprehensive perspective and providing an excellent system for project review. So kind of bringing that comprehensive plan from theoretical down to like, what does this mean um, systems wise in the city? So those were sort of, uh, and then some some changes to some wording around placemaking, walkability, things like that. Does
1: that, in, does that include like a shifting to an online permitting system? And should there be any mention of that? Or is that uh, like a separate track? We
8: have an online permitting system. Um, The city (laughs) launched it uh, right at the start of COVID. Um, Right now, it's mainly just being used for building permits. Um, It will be built out at some point to encompass uh, the rest of it. But right, that's that's still sort of in, in flux, in process. So... Uh, that's I could mention that specifically if you want, but there is a software that the building department has committed to and is being trained on and the other department heads are being trained on. So I think that's sort of in, in progress.
1: And do we specifically ask for a uh, have a digital digitized zoning map?
8: That is also in progress. The um, assessor's office is uh, there's a consulting firm um, making that for them.
4: Right. Do
6: we have it seems to me that. Oops, sorry. I was just gonna say that it seems to me that in this day and age, if one produced a new zoning map, it would by default be digital. Be like a GIS map. Yeah, I can't imagine that anybody would produce a map that was not.
1: Right. Although I'm just thinking that first part of a comprehensive plan is not the actual zoning right. change, but I, you know, yeah. kind of digitizing no what we have now.
8: Yeah. So that's in progress. And then I would assume that part of since so phase one is sort of the comprehensive plan and phase two is more looking at um, the, the vision and goals from the comprehensive plan. How do we um, what do we need to change in the zoning? What do we need to change in our processes to to get there? Um, and so that I would envision would include an update to that digital zoning map to reflect any uh, zoning changes. once they and, have But uh, also you know, the engineering department will sort of take uh, ownership of that map once it exists. It'll be a GIS layer that can actually be edited and changed and exists already.
1: And having tonight's discussion very fresh in the mind, um, is there language around cuz i haven't looked at this closely recently is um their language about identifying areas of the city that for you know walkability commercial development because I, I think i, I think really tar- sure you know identifying that, yeah. like really the the key areas for for development in the city is you know it's going to be a limited number of places like medford square like a few other places and i think that should really be part of what the the consultant pro- produces so that the city understands like here's where we're growing mm-hmm. great
7: Any other comments?
1: So, is there a motion to um, approve the RFP?
4: Sorry, I have one question. I my um, internet went out when you were talking about the term.
1: Oh, okay what
4: was decided
1: <laughs> oh i was I was suggesting uh ten years because state law does state um that communities should have every ten years an updated master plan, so even though it's not enforced at all, but we should probably put have that be the term
8: yeah, that I means. guess there's sort of two terms um in my mind. there's like the term of like when you do the plan, but if it should be looking farther than that, I guess mm-hmm. there. There was some language about ten to twenty years, um, and that—that's something that,
7: I I see, right.
8: If you guys have any input on, but there might be some things that wouldn't necessarily happen in ten years that you might want to start initial steps for or be planning for in a comprehensive plan. Yeah, um, maybe.
4: I mean, I've typically seen plans for ten years, but you could mention like. You know what would be short, mid, long-term goals, but overall, you do the plan for ten years and then plan to revisit it <clears throat> every ten, similar to what Andre was saying. Well, the only question that I
1: have about that, in terms of the long-term stuff, is, uh, I mean, there's, you know, climate planning. Like in fifty years, what are we thinking about? it's going to happen in terms of flooding, and uh, you know, how does that affect where we grow now? So I don't know. If-
6: and so you actually want to look at that. And one of the, so one of the things it does say is you must look at all the plans that we currently have and that exist, and we list them out. And one of them is that we have a climate vulnerability assessment that looks at 2030 and 2070, um, the present, which was, you know, like eight years ago, and 2030 and 2070, um, but that they need to take that in account, right? Because you don't want to designate a huge development district in the place that you think is going to be flooded in 20 years. So having that in your mind. I, my one thought on one, of thinking about longer term is the fact that there is no existing long-term plan. Like this isn't like the 10-year update of our 50 year plan. There is no 50 year plan. There's no 30 year plan. Um, But we need action. We need short term stuff. But nobody's done that long term visioning.
1: Well, what do you, and Um, what's the term that you prefer, Alicia? I mean, and, and how would that affect the scope and cost?
6: I mean, there's a certain amount of that I think is embedded in it that they, would take into account things that are longer term that we know about, like the climate things that you mentioned that I think would just be a normal piece of a modern comprehensive plan. Um, But whether we want to ask them to specifically do long range visioning as well as immediate changes, it's, it's harder to do long range visioning with the community. And that's part of why I kind of wanted to raise it with this group is like, do we just say we want to look at the next 10 years and that's it? Or do we put in some language around long-term vision with actions for the next 10 years?
1: Mm. Any members have thoughts?
4: I kind of like the latter, that there's a really long term vision, and but there's like a ten year action plan. It kind of encompasses the best of both worlds. And then with that ten year action plan, is is the consultant gonna advise on how to measure like key performance indicators and like how the city is like actually achieving? those 10 year <laughs> objectives because you know, then how do you measure yourself because you know, everybody says like oh yeah city always does plans but then n- nothing ever happens so I, I think
6: that's why you need like different range actions you need stuff that you can do in the short term because the city does stuff it just takes so blasted long sometimes that to the general public, it looks like we never do anything. Um,
4: yeah, so to that point, it's like, maybe the consultant can advise on how the actions that the city is taking are being measured and reported out for progress. Mm-hmm.
3: That would be good. Well. to be like performance measures and that are evaluated like every year or every two years to
6: track one of the things that I've I've seen is that um, a community creates a, a comprehensive plan and then the committee that works on that continues to meet once or twice a year after that as to make sure that actions are moving forward and things continue to happen that it it sort of evolves into, it doesn't just go away when the plan is written, but they come back every six months and review the actions and how
7: it's it's going. Oh.
6: That that feels like something less that needs to be in the, the plan or in the RFP and more uh, a decision by this group of people that, Yes, we want to make sure that happens.
1: Well, since it seems like there's some interest from you, Alicia, and some members of the board about the long-term piece, I think I mean thirty years, I think maybe a you know thirty year vision with goals and you know identifying the kind of the growth hubs and quarters in the city is important, but then really focusing on what we're going to do in the next 10 years. I don't know. That seems to make sense to it, me. It
6: fe- yeah, it makes sense to me. It feels like a slot to chew off, but I like to, th- I'd rather think big and just try to do it right to begin with, than try to say, Ooh, that's too much. I'm afraid it's too much work. We've identified funding from the community development block grant, and I think the worst thing that's going to happen is it's going to take a little longer and it's going to cost a little bit more. Um, And I'd rather have it take a little longer in the end and cost a little more than not be useful and not be something that's going to help.
1: I agree. I just also know that there's a lot of plans that sit on the shelf and it's hard for us to know. We, we couldn't have envisioned. I don't think we can envision what the world's going to be like in 20 or 30 years. So I feel like the scope around the long term stuff should be really restricted. We shouldn't try to predict or control what's happening. We should really try to have sort of a, a vision that encapsulates some shared goals and principles Mm -hmm. identify what some of those long-term goals are like it could be and then identify some of the areas where we think are are the kind of transformative places where we might expect growth or development to happen and i think we should specifically reference the climate vulnerability plan as part of as part of that work but again like you know having that be bounded of the 30-year stuff be bounded and really focus on what we're doing now and in the next 10 years.
6: Yeah. That makes sense. I just, I just had to laugh because, as you are probably aware, I've been working on moving offices from downstairs stuff to, to the community development office. And today, my daughter was filling plans onto the bookcase in the office. There's <laughs> just, she's like, "Wow, there are a lot of plans." I'm like, "Yeah, there are
7: a lot of plans." <laughs> yeah,
8: but there are a lot so of maybe. If Little. I can take, mm, go, I can take a stab at adding some language, um, about a, what I'm hearing is, um, it'd be kind of a 10 year plan, but with a piece that is looking long-term, a long-term visioning piece that really focuses on, uh, where do we want to be in 30 years or so and takes into account climate and, uh, key development areas and all of that. But the plan itself and the action items will be focused on that 10 year timeframe. Um, Other things uh, to emphasize will be making sure the plan has uh, key performance indicators or some way to measure the success of implementation um, over time. And um, yes, that's what I have so far. Am I missing anything?
1: Sounds good.
8: So, so I could try to add some of that language in, send out um, the link again when it's when that's been done and um, maybe give you guys a week or so to, to review it and send me any final comments um, and with the expectation that we would put this out prior to the next meeting so we wouldn't have another group conversation about it.
1: Right. So should we I- aim for just like authorize you to incorporate any edits by a certain date so you can you know issue the RFP by the end of July say right
6: and um yeah i would just ask that members of this board think about who from the board would like to be on the steering committee for it um and that at your next meeting august 20th um we won't be re- that would be, I have to do the math, but the, we won't be ready to, res, like, that would be the earliest possible that we could be reviewing responses to it. I think it needs to be out there for three or four weeks. Um, so we'll be putting together a committee to review responses and then actually to um be the like I think we're thinking like a 20 person steering committee in the big picture, but we probably want a couple people from this board along with myself and the chief of staff and Annie to actually go through the consultant selection process. Um, And we'll see about asking for a city councilor.
1: And Alicia, what's the role of this board you see through the process?
6: Um, In the end, this board, should be endorsing the plan, should be the sort of committee behind it. it, Right. It's the giving a final blessing, but there should be a steering committee that's the meeting regularly about it, right? Because people need to be meeting with this consultant twice a month to keep things moving forward and on an email list. So you don't want to take over community development boards, but we do want a few people to be part of a different group that's a diverse group that represents different angles and perspectives of the city um, to be the group that's managing it going forward. And then this board is gonna bless it in the end, so they should be getting a report back from the members who are on that committee at every community development board meeting. How's it going? What's new? What, where does this stand? you know, a, a report back regularly. Sounds uh, good.
1: All right. Well, we've now moved into this July 17th. <laughs> so <laughs> let's, uh, do we need a motion on this, uh, uh, Alicia, or uh, is the feedback enough?
6: As long as I'm not hearing any objections, everybody's good with it. and. It's the will of the board, sort of.
1: There's consensus
7: right. to move it forward.
1: And uh, before recruiting people for that steering committee group, you might want to let us let them recover from the five and six hour meetings we've been having. Yeah. Hopefully, that's gonna. We won't do this anymore in the near future. Yeah. yeah.
4: Never mind. Uh, you know, starting work at you know seven a.m. No. <laughs> we, we
1: should
4: try to <laughs> split up
6: the agenda a little more.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's been a lot these last couple of meetings. So thank you everybody for hanging in. I really appreciate it. And hopefully, uh, again, I I don't think the pipeline going forward will be quite as heavy as this. Wishful thinking, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All right, is there a motion on the (laughs) floor? Is there a motion on the floor?
4: Motion to adjourn.
1: Thanks, Katie. Second?
4: Second. Before I fall asleep on
1: camera, Christy. Okay. A second. <laughs> all right. Roll call. David Blumberg. Hi. Class Anderson. Hi. Katie McHugh. Hi. Deanna Peabody. Hi. Jackie Furtado.
4: Hi. Christy Dowd. Hi.
1: And I'm an eye as well. Thank you all very much. Uh, good. Good morning, I guess. <laughs> and uh, have a good weekend. <laughs> Thank you, everyone.
8: All right. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye. Thank you.